He did this because of the great love that he has for us. You are saved by God's grace. And God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. God did this to show future generations the greatness of his grace by this goodness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something that you did that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. This is the word of God for the people of God. Last Sunday, as worship concluded, my wife and I went home and changed our clothes pretty quickly after a short lunch, and we headed down to Butler. My parents bought a little carport kind of thing that needed to be constructed, and so my brother and I went down to put that up for them. As we were driving across Pennsylvania towards Gregory, one of our friends lives on the corner there, Forbes Cross, and Forbes saw us. I had the top down on the car, and he yells out over the fence, Hey, Jim! I see it's Sunday afternoon. Must be enjoying the rest of your day off, right? You know, kind of thing. Worked my half day on Sunday, and now I'm taking the rest of the day off. And I kind of chuckled and said, yeah, you know, us preachers, we only work a half day out of the week, and then the rest of the time we just kind of hang around. Well, Monday morning, Peggy Evans was here. And Peggy shared with me the Dennis the Menace cartoon from Monday's uh, cartoon section. Any of you by any chance see it? couple of heads nodding. Yeah, right. You already know where I'm at on this. Don't spoil anybody's fun or my punchline, all right? Okay? But on Dennis the Menace's little cartoon here, Dennis has a visitor that day. It's the pastor from the church. And his mom's coming out of the kitchen with a plate of cookies. And Dennis is standing there with the pastor. And he says, so, pastor, you work Sundays, and the other six days you just hang out? Yes, that's what we do, Right? Work on Sunday for half a day and then hang out. Well, it's nice to be back in the pulpit, but I want to say this in front of all of you. It is such a joy and a privilege as a pastor and as a church for us to have Denny and Allie as part of our team. To be able able to take a couple of weeks off for vacation and study break is a blessing for the church. It's a blessing for me. But to also have very capable people stand up and deliver the gospel on Sunday is an even greater blessing for our community and the world beyond. So thank you, ladies, both very much. So today we're going to begin a new series. You saw the title. I hope you saw that on the worship guide. It says, Where where Does It Say? And so we're going to look at four sayings that kind of sound like they're from the Bible, but they're really nowhere in the Bible. You probably have heard these phrases, God helps those who help themselves, right? God works in mysterious ways. Charity begins at home, and this too shall pass, right? You have all heard these phrases before. They sound great as ways of expressing who God is, but they're not necessarily something that's out of our biblical witness and tradition. They've been created along the way. 
You know, we tell the world a lot about ourselves, believe it or not, right? By the labels that we wear on our clothing, on our cars, sometimes our address is our label. We share our opinions and our politics with everybody, either through Twitter or Facebook. We do it through yard signs and bumper stickers. We tell everybody our favorite sports teams by the flag that we hang outside of our house, the baseball cap that we wear, the jersey that we put on, and occasionally we tell people our religious beliefs as well, right? Through a nice little card that we send them, the coffee mugs that we might have in our home, or the t-shirt that we wear that has a, a wonderful little saying on it. You think about the latter of these kinds of examples. Sometimes we share truths about who God is. We have statements on our t-shirts and our cards and our coffee mugs that help us understand who God is and the activity of God in the world around us. And then occasionally we have sentiments about God that aren't necessarily true or accurate. We make statements about God thinking they are biblical truths only to find out that they are nowhere in our own scriptures. We have all, probably all of us, heard it said that God helps those who help themselves. And the preacher joke is, is if you go to Hezekiah chapter 6, verse 1, you'll see it there. Now, for those of you who really want to quickly take out your Bible, start thumbing around looking for Hezekiah. You won't find it. All right? So that's the preacher joke. It's not really in the Bible. It just sounds like it ought to be in the Bible. How many of you really know the origin of that phrase? Well, if you don't, I'm going to tell you. So this is the enlightening moment of the sermon, right? It began actually as a Greek philosophy. Sophocles wrote, No good ever comes of leisure purposelessness, and heaven never helps the man who will not act. Euripides picks that thought up in Greek philosophy and says, Try first thyself and after call in God. For the worker, God himself lends aid. A little bit more closer to modern times, George Herbert included a similar phrase in his 17th century Proverbs collection, Yakula Prudentum. He said, help thyself and God will help thee. French author Jean de la Fontaine, when he was adapting Aesop's fables into French, also picked up on the moral that was in two of Aesop's fables, and that moral was help yourself and heaven will help you too. Now the modern version of this, God helps those who help themselves, we often quote as Benjamin Franklin. In Poor Richard's Almanac, Benjamin Franklin wrote, God helps those who help themselves. But he is not the originator of that phrase. Actually, it is the English political theorist Algernon Sidney who first coined the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. And we continue to use that over and over and over. In religious circles, there's actually only one religious text that has anything similar to that phrase written in it. The prophet Muhammad in the Holy Quran, chapter 13, verse 11, wrote, Indeed, Allah will not change the condition of a people until they change what is in themselves. So it sounds like it ought to be a good biblical phrase, but in actuality, it's probably more of a motivational saying. 
How many of you read the paper last Sunday and saw that Dr. Wayne Dyer passed away? Any of you remember that name? Any of you heard of that name before? I'll tell you who he is. Wayne Dyer was a famous psychotherapist and professor who created a self-help empire. He was one of those self-help gurus. Wrote several different books and he appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show numerous different times. The CNN article on Monday gave kind of a eulogy about Dr. Dyer, and here's what it said. It said, perhaps the most important credential one can have when being in the business of inspiring people and instructing them on how to pick oneself up by their bootstraps and to achieve is to have done just that themselves. Dyer was one of those people who picked him up by his own bootstraps, and he was successful, and he achieved, and he encouraged others in this way of self-help and as a motivational speaker. I could imagine that in his office there probably was that saying, God helps those who help themselves. It was something that he probably lived by or believed. It might be a, a great motivational saying for us, but actually it's just a cultural interpretation of who God is, and our cultural interpretation actually makes for bad theology, friends. It's not a real helpful understanding of who God is. It may actually only serve those of us who are not helpless to say God helps those who help themselves. And it may give us the position, the theological excuse for doing nothing to help anyone in the world around us. If that's what we believe, God helps those who help themselves. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever seen someone and thought to yourself, why don't you pull yourself up by your bootstraps? Why don't you go out and help yourself? Ever had a moment where you saw someone and and it didn't really appear that they were doing much of anything to better themselves? And in the back of your mind is that little phrase, that saying, God helps those who help themselves. Right? Can I let you in on a little secret this morning? Can I share with you some news today? Actually, God helps those who cannot help themselves. The good news of the gospel and the message is is that God helps those who cannot help themselves. You think about the psalmist and and his writing. It is plain and it is clear that God is helping someone who cannot help himself in that moment. That the steadfast love of God for all people is one of help, to come and be of aid. David as a person, the, the psalmist writer, was one who found himself in the wilderness hiding on more than one occasion. As a young man, he was anointed to be the next king of Israel, of all the peoples. And Saul sought out to kill him because that infringed upon who Saul was as the king. He saw David as a threat, so he pursued him to try to kill this little boy. And he finds himself out in the wilderness hiding in a cave. But that's not his, first, or not his last experience of that. When David is a grown man and he has children, one of his sons, Absalom, decides that he wants to be the next king of Israel. And so he starts to pursue his father to be able to kill him and take over the kingdom. And David flees to the wilderness and the cave again. And this comes his writings. To be able to sit there as a psalmist and talk about his desperation, 
his despair, his depression, and to be able to lift that up. And then also be reminded that God is the one who comes and comforts. God is the one who rescues, is his rock, his salvation. The Psalms are replete with that understanding of being a desperate person that God comes to help. Because in those moments, he could not help himself. And it's to remind us that it's not only individually that God helps us, but as a community as well. One of the best stories in all of Scripture to remind us of the communal nature of God who helps is the story of the Exodus. You think about these people that are enslaved and incapable of getting out of slavery in Egypt. Their cry is raised to the heavens and God hears their cry and sends Moses to proclaim their release. Go to Pharaoh and say, set my people free. Let them go. And God eventually draws them out, spirits them out of the land and puts them into their own land. God helps a community of people who could not help themselves. The writer of Ephesians, I believe, carries on that kind of communal message for us to understand that God is our help, our very present help. The Pauline writer reminds those churches that received this letter and read it that they did not save themselves. This is the gift of God. Salvation comes from God who gives life through death and resurrection. That it is not something that we can earn on our own and boast about but rather the very gift of God for them. And it's a message that we need to carry on as well, that it should be the centerpiece of our lives. To listen to the counsel of the Ephesians writer who says in the very last sentence, God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. To be reminded that it's not just something that we own on our own, but something that should be proclaimed through who we are in our very world, that God has helped and delivered us, and God helps and delivers those around us. As a 21st century church, we know that the world is a pretty unjust place around us. We as humanity continue to wage war on one another in a variety of different ways, and yet God is still steadfast and faithful. God is still working to help those who cannot help themselves as individuals and as communities. You were witnesses and participants in one of the greatest tangible expressions of that in our worship today, the baptism of coal. If you think about it, friends, coal was incapable of rescuing himself from sin and death. It is God who brought him in that moment and incorporated him into salvation's history through the water and the Spirit. Cole couldn't answer any of those questions for himself regarding faith, right? It's his parents who made covenant with God to raise him in a home of faith so that he might learn of God and through his own confirmation proclaim that baptism as his own. Cole's incapable of self-nurturing at this moment. It's going to take us as a community of faith along with his parents and his family to raise him in the covenant that we have made with God that through it he might become one of God's own disciples. Cole couldn't help himself this morning. It took a community of people helping him to become a part of this story. So, does God really help those who help themselves? Or does God really help those who cannot help themselves? 
And how does that transpire? If you think about it, if God helps those who cannot help themselves, how does that transpire in the world around us? It actually transpires through us, friends. God's agents who are sent forth into the world to proclaim this good news as we live our lives in the way that God planned it. Most of us have have read the story of the Kansas City, Missouri School District, right? You know that it's not a well-functioning, well-oiled machine by any means. 2011, the district lost its accreditation. 2014, it was granted provisional accreditation by the state. It's had a revolving door of superintendents over the last decade plus. Most of them last about a year to two years and then transition out. And all of this turmoil affects, on average, somewhere between 17 and 18,000 students who can't help it and have no power over that system. Most of you may not know this, though, is Methodism has been a part of the Kansas City school districts since its beginning. In the Kansas City, Missouri schools, one of them began in the basement of Westport Methodist Church in the early 1800s. Part of the Kansas City, Kansas schools were begun as a Methodist mission to the Shawnee Indians on the Kansas side. We have been a part of education and what is going on in trying to help these 17 to 18,000 kids. We continue to be a part of that as Methodist churches adopt schools all across our community to try to partner with them and help kids who are in turmoil, kids who simply can't affect the system and help themselves. You know, we participate in that through our Back Snacks program. We help those kids who are under-resourced with a, a weekend kind of snack meal that they probably also share with their families as well. Why? Because they can't help themselves. Most of them don't earn enough money to be able to go out and buy that kind of food for the weekend. We provide. And God is continuing to invite every single one of us to help those who cannot help themselves. For this is the mission of God that is for us and for the world. To go and live out that gospel mission of helping others. Now I'm going to share with you two very specific opportunities that are coming up really quickly in which each and every one of us can participate in this. On Saturday is the Defeat Hunger event at St. James. I mentioned that early on in the announcements. I'm going to mention it again. By the way, dear friends, this is a no-excuses-accepted kind of event because every single one of us can participate somehow. Now, if you're a runner and you like to run, you can sign up for the 5K run. $25 sign-up fee, and that $25 goes towards the food that we will be packaging in those sack lunches. If you don't like running and you can walk, you can sign up for that. Oh, by the way, registration is $25. And where does the fee, the fee go? The sack, lunches. sack lunches. At least the choir is awake. <laughs> we want to try to figure out how to pack somewhere around 10,000 meals that morning in sacks, right? And if you can't run and you can't walk, You can come pack sack lunches as well. Now, if you can't run, you can't walk, and you can't pack sack lunches, you can donate because it does take money for us to be able to pay for these 10,000 meals. Every single one of us can participate in this event to help those who cannot help themselves, to demonstrate the biblical truth that God through us is helping the world around us. 
Now the second opportunity is our baby grace. It transpires the same morning. Baby grace diaper distribution is this coming Saturday. You can help set up. You can help put things away. You can greet folks and provide hospitality. You can donate your time and your talent. You can donate some of your gently used resources as well, baby items. You can donate financially. There's ways in which every single one of us can participate in these two opportunities that are right before us. To be God's people who help those who cannot help themselves. Now we all know that there's another crisis out there. I don't know the answer to this one yet. Denny mentioned it in our prayers and it's the refugee crisis. Someone told me this morning that the Pope has encouraged every single Catholic parish in Europe to adopt at least one refugee family. I'm not sure yet what the United Methodist Church's response is going to be on this. But I'll guarantee you there will be some kind of response. And as soon as we know about it, we will do our best to engage in a way in which we can help people who at the moment can't help themselves. But every single one of us can help someone. We can help someone who cannot help themselves. And we can demonstrate this biblical truth that God helps those who cannot help themselves. We can be a tangible representation of God's love in action. We can get involved and we can express our love of our neighbor and our love for our God because that's who we're supposed to be. That's what life is supposed to be. To engage others to love and serve God in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let us be reminded, dear friends, that God does not help those who help themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. That is the picture of God that is from our own understanding, our biblical text, the God who is at work on behalf of those who are the poor, the oppressed, who cannot help themselves. And that we as a Christian community are given the mission of that gospel to go forth and to help them as well. And in doing so, we share our love of our neighbor and our love of God. So we've got to ask ourselves seriously, friends. Will we simply just continue to sit idly by, falsely believing that God will be the one who will go out and help them, the others? Or are we going to get a little skin in the game? And we're going to go out or are we going to demonstrate to those that are the helpless that God has sent us to bear His love and His witness? It's our choice. But it's also our calling. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? God of grace and mercy, we ask that you help us to remember that in our helpless state you rescued us from sin and death. You delivered us to new life. You incorporated us into salvation's history by water and the Spirit. And that in our profession of faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, we are his disciples. Lord, remind us that our salvation has consequences. The mandate to be ones who help the helpless in our world. So we pray that you give us the power of your Holy Spirit to respond to every opportunity before us that we might be your agents who help the helpless. All these things we pray in Christ's name. Would you join me now in your worship guide as we prepare our hearts and our minds for the sacrament of communion?
On the upper half of page 9, you will find the liturgy for communion. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give our thanks and our praise to our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and you breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through the prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. Jesus healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup and gave thanks to you. Then he gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ, offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ is God. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Until Christ comes in final victory and we all feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. The bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. The cup over which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood.